Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. Hello, everybody. Good uh, morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night. It's Dr. Stu in another episode of the Birthing Instincts podcast. Bliss is not with us today. She's got some other business that she's taking care of. She misses everyone terribly, and I, of course, miss her. But today's podcast is a sort of a special podcast. We have a, uh, a couple and a midwife on who are going to be telling us about their twin birth story and overcoming some of the hurdles that they had to overcome for a set of monodi twins that had this wonderful uh, birth. But of course, before we get there, there's some updates of things that I have to uh, I have to talk about. Uh, first of all, uh, just to get off my chest, uh, a couple things about, one thing about ACOG, we recently put out, uh, by the way, did you guys all know it, it was uh, National Influenza Vaccination Week? Sort of mock these things sometimes because it seems like every, every week there's like six different or more national week of this or, uh, you know, honorary week of this or whatever. But I can't believe we now have a National Influenza Vaccination Week and of course, ACOG on their Instagram account put out, uh, we recommend the annual flu vaccine for everyone six months and older, especially pregnant people, young children, and those at higher risk. And I just want to have to cry, call um, on, on ACOG, once again, recommending a vaccine that if it comes in a multi-dose vial has mercury in it, a vaccine that's never been tested in a randomized placebo-controlled trial for safety, a vaccine that then violates every aspect of what's called the precautionary principle to give it to pregnant and lactating women and to young and newborn baby or babies over six months. Again, never been tested. Uh, toxins inside of it uh, to prevent something that is very unlikely to cause anyone uh, a problem. So think about that and be cautious. And ACOG, you should continue to be ashamed of yourself. Okay. Um, the other thing I'd like to talk about is I was talking with, uh, uh, Dr. Chun of the doula and doctor, uh, podcasts. Um, he's a, uh, influence on Instagram. He's a very nice man. He's a obstetrician in, uh, Boston, the Boston area. We had an hour and a half conversation yesterday, just commiserating with each other. So I want to give a shout out to him. We don't agree on everything. He's a little more medicalized than I am and still, sort of cut up, but he understands the foolishness and the tyranny of a lot of what's going on in the medical system and the industrial medical complex. And we were talking about board certification. This has come up recently in some comments on, uh, on Instagram about some of the posts that have been put up there by people, including myself. And I want to just say that to, uh, bluntly that you know how I talk about these things. The American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology is a scam. It's a scam, and I'll tell you why, because I always bring the receipts here. Um, there's no data anywhere saying that it improves care. There's no data that says that somebody who's board certified is better than somebody who's not board certified, all right? It's a cabal of academicians who charge a hefty annual fee to the practicing physicians, uh, obstetricians in uh, the United States. While they're charging this hefty fee, they're out there lobbying insurance companies, and hospitals 
that they should only allow doctors on their panels or on their staff who are board certified um, as if it's a sign of quality um, assurance or just a sign of quality. Again, there's no evidence that it's a sign of quality. And I would ask the question of people, if, if a doctor is board certified today and has the same knowledge tomorrow and decides to give up their board certification, is that doctor less knowledgeable? Okay. When what happens after they lobby these institutions is then these institutions then mandate that the medical staff be board certified, which then turns around and, and says the doctors have inevitably to have to uh, continue to purchase annual maintenance of certification, which is over $1,000 a year to be a member of the board that doesn't really give them anything other than allows them to have the privilege of taking insurance reimbursement or being on staff at a hospital but it doesn't make them better physicians. So it becomes an, uh, an endless repeating loop. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay, so today's, today's uh, theme is mostly on twins, but I wanted to read one quick um, article about um, Breach First. This is just a nice letter from somebody. Uh, this is from Micah on Instagram and about uh, essentially changing her plan to meet her needs, because that is also a theme sort of in today's interview with Anna and Jorge. So she says, uh, Micah says, hello, I'm so thankful for your podcast. I started listening this year and had my baby in September. I was going to a licensed birth center for care. At 38 weeks and five days, we found out our baby was breech. Due to Utah laws, we had to change providers. I, I, I hesitate to add too much here, but the fact that they have these laws in states put in by people who don't know much about breech birth and they're taking the opportunity and the choice away from women um, to have a breech birth with somebody who might very well be very skilled at it is another sort of foolishness. We found a midwife who did breech birth and had a wonderful birth with her. I'm so thankful for the information in your podcasts. It helped me to make an informed decision and feel confident with delivering vaginally. Thank you for helping women receive information that helps them make better choices for them, their babies, and their families. Uh, yeah, so this is one of the things we talk about, Liz and I, all the time, is that sometimes you, if your choices are limited, you need to go out of network. You need to find another practitioner. You need to maybe drive 50 miles or cross state lines to get the birth that you want. But there's very little that's more important than how your baby comes into this world, not only for the baby's health, but also for your health and your mental health. So just think about that. All right, here's one, a letter from Alexa, not, not that Alexa, but uh, Alexa on Instagram. And she says, um, I want to say thank you for the knowledge on twin and breech births, because what you share, I was able to stand up for myself and advocate a no C-section when the doctor on call at my hospital said we needed to do a C-section because baby B was breech and less than a pound larger than baby A. He said, baby B wouldn't fit out of the canal of ba after baby A. I don't know how much I can dwell on the, um, again, the obtuseness of these people when they say things like that. They don't know anything and yet they are supposed experts. Because I was able to stand my ground, I was able to have the natural birth I dreamed of and baby B flipped 
and turned out to be head down when it came down time to deliver anyway. I'm truly grateful for what you are sharing with the world. Thank you so much. And that's from Alexa. Okay. So um, one last thing before we get to introduce our guests today, and that is a disappointing thing on my part is we submitted a Rick Safries and I from Breach Without Borders submitted a uh, paper on twin birthing to a journal called BMC Pregnancy and Childbirth. And after going through an extensive revamping, according to the peer reviewers' requests, um, we then resubmitted the paper and we were found out that we were uh, rejected. So we are resubmitting it to another journal and we know that it will get it published, but I've talked about this many times on the podcast, how I think this paper will soon be coming out, soon be coming out. And here's a journal that we applied to more than six months ago. A six month process, sort of massive peer review uh, from two different reviewers. One was specifically picky and we tried to implement the things that he thought were necessary. And we, we disagreed with him on some and we left things the way they were. And after that, uh, that whole process, six months later, they tell us we're not gonna publish your paper. So now they pushed our paper back another whole six months. But, but I wanted to read the abstract from the paper because I think that this is, I've, I've teased this enough that it's time that I'd be a little bit more specific about what is going to come out when we do get this published. So this is an abstract from a paper done by Rixa and I called Twin Home Birth, Outcomes of 100 Sets of Twins in the Care of a Single Practitioner. This is not published data. And I will say also that our numbers are not powered enough to reach statistical significance. So it is just a review of the 100 sets of twins that came into my care. So it starts like this, background. Research on outcomes of community home and birth center, twin birth is scarce. This study evaluates the outcomes of twin pregnancies entering care with a single practitioner in a community setting. Methods. This is a re retrospective observational cohort study of 100 consecutive twin pregnancies, planning community births during a 12 years with a single obstetrician. Outcomes measured included mode of delivery, birth weights, APGAR scores, anti, intra, and postpartum transports, perineal integrity, delivery interval, blood loss, chorionicity, weight concordance, and other maternal and neonatal morbidity. Of course, that's non-specific, but it's an abstract. You're limited in words. So, so results of the 100 twin pregnancies that you entered into care, 31, 31%, transferred to a hospital-based clinician prior to labor. In the paper, we do go through every 30, all 31 of those and discuss why they were transferred prior to labor. The remaining 69 sets of twins were still in the obstetrician's care at the onset of labor. Of those 69 pregnancies, 79.7% were diamniotic, dichorionic, and 21.3% were monochorionic, diamniotic. The vaginal delivery rate was 91.3% overall, including 16 of 21 <clears throat> primips for 76.2% uh, and 47 of 48 multips at 97.9%. So a multiparous woman who's got twins who makes it to term has a 98% chance of delivering vaginally in our, in our model. Um, six mothers were transported in labor uh, excuse me, eight mothers were transported in labor. Of those, six had cesarean sections. So we had a cesarean section rate of 8.7%. The other two were transferred to like-minded physicians and got the opportunity to get an epidural and Pitocin and ended up delivering vaginally. 
Rates of vaginal delivery did not vary significantly by chorionicity. 91.4% of di-dye twins and 90.9% of monodye twins gave birth vaginally. There were eight transports in labor, as we said earlier. Average gestational age was 39 weeks. A range was 35 to 42 weeks. Compared to primips, multips had less perineal trauma, higher rates of community vaginal and spontaneous vaginal birth, one twin infant and one mother required postpartum hospital transport. One of the babies born in community setting, oh, excuse me, of the babies born in community setting, there were no serious morbidity requiring hospital treatment. Conclusions. A community birth leads to high rates of vaginal birth and good outcomes for both mothers and babies in properly selected twin pregnancies. Community twin birthing with midwifery-style care under specific protocol guidelines and with skilled practitioners may be a reasonable choice for women wishing to avoid a cesarean section, especially when there is no option of a hospital vaginal birth. However, this study is underpowered to calculate uncommon adverse neonatal outcomes. Training of future practitioners in vaginal twin and breech skills remains the imperative. Okay, so that's what the paper is going to talk about. Uh, I have to give lots of credit to Rixa. We, we, she's been doing a lot of the busy work, uh, the cubicle stuff type stuff, and we will get this uh, resubmitted and hopefully we will get it published in 2024. I also want to give a shout out to my colleague, Victoria and Lindsay, um, for their beautiful birth twin birth story that they just recently put out on Instagram. Um, it was, it was, you know, you can find the story at Victoria underscore MD underscore birthing or Lindsay underscore Melis. That's M-E-E-H-L-E-I-S. And uh, these stories, again, while not for everybody, can give women an idea of what's possible if they get out of sort of the hamster wheel of the medicalized, uh, financially motivated um, uh, obstetrical system. Okay. So after we take a break right now, we'll be right back and I will introduce our guests and bring them on uh, for a great discussion about a twin home birth that had to overcome some obstacles and hurdles and a lot of sort of gaslighting to make the choice that worked well for her. Bliss, what is Element? L-M-N-T. It's a amazing sponsor first of all we love them so much but it's a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the bs like us that's right <laughs> i taught you well <laughs> it is it, it's got a lot of uh good salts in it and uh no sugar i even uh, took a little notes here and they have um a thousand milligrams of sodium 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium which helps maintain fluid balance regulates your blood pressure and supports muscle function, mood, and bone health. Which is great for pregnant mamas, breastfeeding moms, and absolutely for birth workers. So make sure that you have some in your in your birth bag if you need it or if your clients do in labor. For sure. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause like headache, cramps, fatigue, and weakness, especially in the birthing world. You know, a long time when we, before what I used to do it, but you still do. <laughs> you have a lot of <laughs> after being up all night and snacking on like not such good food sometimes 
And I carry it with me whenever I travel and I add it to my water, like in the hotel room and stuff. And I've spent a lot of time recently in hotel rooms. It's a great sponsor and they've, they've been doing really well and I'm really proud to be um, supporting them. They have multiple flavors. Your favorite, uh, favorite is raspberry, right? Raspberry is mine and yours is mango yeah. chili. But I, I do have, I do have some sad news. Aww. So long, old friend, to Lemon Habadiero. Oh, man. They discontinued it? So they could concentrate on citrus salt, raspberry salt, orange salt, raw unflavored, mango chili, chocolate salt, and watermelon salt. Maybe they're going to come out with some new stuff, too. But I trust <laughs> Elements. I trust that the, uh, they've done a deep dive into the research. They put their whole soul into it. We would like you to go to Drink Element. That's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts, all one word. And when you do that, you'll get a free sample pack with your every order. Go do it. Go do it. Okay, we're back. We're back. I'm back with you. Um, again, I'm, I'm missing bliss terribly today. But uh, let me introduce our guests. So Anna and Jorge <clears throat> have been together for seven years and married for three. They currently live in a suburb west of Minneapolis, with her two and a half year old daughter, and also now their identical twin girls who are going on three months old. They have built their lives on the Christian faith, which has given them the freedom to live in peace through all seasons of life. Anna hopes their story can provide encouragement for all expecting mothers, but especially those who are expecting twins, and that it would be an example of what taking ownership over your pregnancy and birth sometimes needs to look like, drastic measures and all. And Nancy Paul is an MSN, APRN, and a CNM, and she's founder and owner of Emergence Midwifery. And she is a compassionate, certified nurse midwife with a proven track record providing quality, family-centered care in homes, birth centers, and the hospital setting. Nancy attended Rutgers University for undergrad, where she also received an athletic scholarship to play lacrosse. She completed her graduate school midwifery education through the Frontier Nursing University in Hyden, Kentucky, graduating with honors. Since 2002, Nancy has worked in the healthcare space, initially starting her nursing journey as a cardiopulmonary registered nurse. She has also worked in perinatal, neonatal intensive care, and IV teams for various hospitals in Pennsylvania and in Southern California. In 2011, Nancy started attending births in the home and birth center setting, where she received most of her graduate level midwifery experience. While her love has always been in the out of hospital space, in 2018, she also helped start an in-hospital birthing center, only the second of its kind in the state of California. She now practices in the Phoenix, Arizona area, bringing choice and joy to so many through her company called Emergence Midwifery. So Nancy, Anna, Jorge, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for having us on here. And so good to see you again and Nancy. Yeah, so you are seeing me again. We're going to get to that too. We'll talk a little bit about that. As well. um, it's it, you know, it's it's really a joy for me to to talk to you guys because of the experience that you went through. And one of the things that happens to me all the time in my emails or my direct messaging is people with similar circumstances to what you have, with no choices, major dilemmas you know, medical obstacles, financial obstacles, whatever, social obstacles, and they, they can't do it. And they end up getting funneled down a path that they don't want to take. That isn't the necessarily the best for them or their babies. But I, I've sort of introduced a little bit before we, you guys came on, but why don't you guys tell 
us a little bit about your story. And then I just want people to know that Nancy is a midwife that, that I just introduced and she is in Phoenix, Arizona, and is quite skilled. And we'll get to her role in this in a second. But, you know, Jorge and Anna, I know you're in different locations, but go ahead and just give us a little bit uh, background on, on how you got here, your first pregnancy, then you found out you had twins, all that. Yeah, I'll let Anna go and share the story. I'll just, uh, I'll be the color commentator <laughs> and let her, uh, <laughs> her kind of give the overall view of it. Yeah, so um, we have a two and a half year old. So um, with her, you know, I went the birth center route after having a bad experience starting out with an OB. And so really enjoyed that experience, especially under midwifery care. And so when we found out that we were pregnant for our second time, we knew right away that a birth center, freestanding birth center under midwifery care was really the only way that we wanted to go. Um, although I always hoped in, you know, for the future, I would get to do a home birth. It just wasn't going to happen for this pregnancy, given we were in an apartment still. Um, so we just chose a birth center. And um, lo and behold, at the 20 week anatomy scan, which was the first time that we were ever seeing our baby, um, I hadn't gotten an ultrasound yet for this pregnancy. So we were just super excited uh, to just get to see them, find out the gender. Um, and then lo and behold, there ended up being two babies in there. And so um, in Minnesota, and I know it's the same for a lot of other freestanding birth centers, but because you are now high risk, quote unquote, with having the two babies, um, you are risked out. And so you have to transfer care somewhere else, meaning usually a hospital type care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you so you found out you were having twins. And I think you, you said you spoke at that time to the maternal fetal medicine doctor. Yeah. who came in to discuss the twins and what the, what what you could be expecting in the coming weeks. Why, why don't you sort of elaborate a little bit on, on the kind of information that you got, uh, being that your twins were diagnosed as being what are called mono-die twins or identical twins for that matter. And there's, you know, we've done a lot of podcasts on twins and, or just even mentioned them in podcasts. And there's so much... I don't like the term misinformation because it's it's been bastardized in the in the, in the public sphere these days. But but there was there's so much wrong information or bad information or skewed uh, information about monodi twins. So uh, kind of tell us a little bit about you know what you were told. I just I think I'll I'll back it up a little bit here because at the at the birth center um, when they said that we had essentially. Our, we weren't qualified to give birth at the birth center anymore. Um, so it was a, there. It was obviously a group of, of midwives that were giving Anna care and and the babies. Uh, the, there was a doctor that would oversee the entire midwifery care as well. So there was a. I'm not entirely sure his role, but he was essentially the doctor uh, that provided care. And um, I remember the night where it, the of the day that we gave that we we found out that we were having twins. Um, he gave us a call and essentially kind of gave us the information of like, Hey, you know, obviously you're, you're having twins, quite a bit of a surprise. Um, but, um, he essentially said like with one of the twins, we were seeing, um, some of the, the, the levels of the amniotic fluid lower than the other one. So they were a little bit smaller as well as the other one. So the, 
the fear, I would say, for us initially started when we on that first day when we found out we were having twins. And it, it was because of uh, of the doctor that was overseeing the midwifery care at that time at the, the birth center that we were at. Um, he essentially kind of said, yeah, I'm going to transfer you. I'm going to recommend you to MFM here in Minnesota and at the University of Minnesota. Um, and they're kind of going to have to take care of you. And like, it's kind of uncertain right now um, what's going to happen based off of where that where the other twin is at. Um, and I remember researching that night. I legitimately just researched like, what does mono die twin even mean? And you go into the internet and you just read the dumbest things ever, right? Because essentially everything is dying on the internet. Everybody's dying. You have cancer of this or that, right? So um, I remember just researching it and it just instill, instilled so much fear in me that first night. And I think even Anna too, because I was on my phone, we were next to each other. like, and we, we saw, we were legitimately reading. Yeah it could cause in death of one of the twins or both. Um, and so that to me is where we, we initially jumped to, but, um, we were just kind of like, like, you know what, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go based off of that. We're just going to go on this path that the professionals were telling us to go down, which is go reach out to MFM, go visit them for the first time. Um, and then we'll see kind of what happens. And so that's where it starts. That's where that journey started for us initially, really like, going into a little bit of fear-based uh, care that we were receiving. And, and we weren't really necessarily well-informed at the time to even consider other options. It was initially just to say, the doctor said, I would trust anybody within my family to go visit this MFM doctor that I'm recommending you to. So I'm kind of just like, okay, well, he, if he trusts his family to go visit this doctor, then we're going to go and do it as well. Um, so that's kind of how that started the journey of MFM uh, in, in the care that we were getting. You know, and a couple things that you just said there. The, first of all, referring to an MFM when you find out you have monodi twins is actually very appropriate. So it's, it's a very it's something that should be done. But just because you have monodi twins does not mean that you're going to have a bad outcome. And when they said to you, you said it said it could cause this and that and the other thing. Yeah. When when somebody says that, that's like saying it's it's risky. Well, well, what does that mean? That means that it's could be risky. It could not be risky. It could cause something, but it could not cause something. So that, but the medical model always tends to lean toward, as you said earlier, like you said, when you searched on Google, which is a big mistake for anybody, but when you search on Google, you find often the worst case scenarios. You don't find the, the, the facts because they're so embedded in, in, in the problems and the problems that can occur with monodi twins can be significant and serious but if you don't have them, then experienced practitioners who deal with twins a lot, like myself and other people, will tell you that if you, if you don't develop this problem called twin-twin transfusion syndrome, then your twins are really no different than other die-die twins, which carries with it slightly greater risk than singletons. But often, uh, uh, that the risk doesn't materialize. And so to scare somebody down that path it's just what the medical model does yeah. because I think they are also risk averse or they, as we like to say on the podcast, they like to err on the side of caution, yeah. but people who listen know that what that means is they like to make a mistake on the side of caution. And that's tends to be what they do. You also said one other thing too. You said the doctor was overseeing the birth center or overseeing the midwives. Mm-hmm. It's a big bugaboo for me and probably for Nancy as well. The fact that, you know, midwives in many, many states cannot practice without supervision 
from an OB who really doesn't know the style of care that midwives deliver or doesn't really know how to take care of somebody without always being on edge and trusting that nature knows what it's doing most of the time. So the idea that that government agencies and, and hospital systems say that midwives have to be supervised by a physician is, is an old fashioned thing that you're stuck in the long habit of thinking that that's appropriate when it really necessarily isn't necessarily, excuse me, appropriate. And so whenever I hear that, it all, I always cringe a little bit that yes, midwives are, are, are independent practitioners. If they feel like they need to consult with somebody, they should consult with somebody. But to be mandated to do that and to be overseen by somebody who really doesn't know how they practice is a big issue. Nancy, you wanna, you wanna chime in on that? Yeah, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I, you know, I lived in that world in, in Southern California, which is where I actually had the, the pleasure of meeting you, Dr. Stu. And um, I, it's one of the biggest, you know, hurdles and hangups, right? Where it's just like, you don't know low risk physiologic birth. You don't know the midwifery model of care and you're going to oversee it and chime in. And I think so many times the medical model, you know, they, they pay attention much like how you experienced um, Anna and Jorge. Like they, they're thinking of this, the physical thing and they're thinking of the risk. And like you said, error on the side of caution and they're not taking into account like the midwifery model of care also takes into account. What, how, what is this going to do to you emotionally? What is this going to do to you mentally, spiritually, relationally? They're, they're picking this one thing and, and, Kind of taking advantage of the fact that in in five minutes of information they've just cycled you in this totally different path whereas i like to lean into how does this information make you feel and and let's talk about where we need to go with that once you've had a, some time to settle into it you know so the overseeing of that i think takes away that that nurture part of of who we are and how we come alongside families and it's it's really unfortunate and it doesn't allow midwives to practice to their true, not only scope, but to their, to, you know, uh, to listen to the callings of their heart and, and be mindful of care in that way, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so Anna, how did, how did that make you feel? I mean, I know Jorge already expressed his opinion, but how did that make you feel when the first thing they said to you was that you've got to go see an MFM because it could cause this problem? Um, did you feel like Nancy said, did you feel like you got enough time to talk to this doctor or was it sort of like you have twins now, we're going to send you off someplace else? No. And uh, we really felt like it was sort of just this handoff, like, good luck. I've now referred you to this other doctor. You know, he he really didn't do that great of a job of the transition from what we were expecting out of the midwifery care model to now kind of the opposite. And um, we even didn't really know what the difference was between an OB and an MFM. And so I remember we had the first ultrasound um, to look at the babies and the MFM came in afterwards to meet us and go over the results. Um, and I remember Jorge was asking, so are you going to be the one that's like going to be there for the the delivery at the hospital and everything she's like oh no like that's completely <laughs> different you know team there um and so just even feeling like we were in over our heads with like who is who 
what exactly are you looking at? What is our care going to be looking at from here on out? Um, so we just really felt like there was no guidance um, whatsoever. And so we were just left to sort of decipher the information that they were giving us about the twins, specifically about, you know, TTTS and TAPS, which they were, of course, looking at because they were mono die. But even at that point in time, we were 21 weeks. Um, and so, you know, what they were looking for for TTTS, they consistently looked for, you know, week after week after week, we eventually got to, you know, 26, 27 weeks. And there were no signs of TDTS, which we know that past that point, it is very, 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 you know, rare for it to actually develop. But then, of course, when we bring up, why are we still looking for this? When we know that the likelihood of this developing after this point is so slim, um, you know, they say, well, it could, right? It could. So we're going to keep having you come in every week for ultrasounds to continue to look for it. Yeah, the the... I mean, again, without getting too cynical here, the it could fits right into their model because it generates revenue. Um, but that's true of, of any pregnancy. Any singleton pregnancy at any moment could have something happen. Yeah. So should they should they should they monitor all babies over over excessively? Well, mm -hmm. they would say why not? Because they don't feel there's any downside, first of all, psychologically to having you worry all the time that something's wrong. But also, they don't feel there's any downside to uh, uh, disrupting your day, exposing you to potential non-ionizing radiation over and over and over again. And, and MFMs, as we've talked about in some of our previous podcasts, you know they're they're notorious for turning on the color Doppler, that sort of thing. They like doing that because it one it one it has extra codes to bill for, and but it but it does have much more potent non-ionizing radiation than general ultrasound. And they, they they turn that on all the time. They become very reliant on it. When it started out as having very few uh, specific diagnosis to be using to look for. Uh, but your babies didn't have any growth restriction. They didn't really have any significant discordance between them. They didn't have, one didn't have poly, one didn't have oligohydramnios. Um, they, they were normal all the way up through that 28 week period of time. And although yes, it can uh, TTTS can develop uh, after that. It's, it is, as you said, very very rare. I have it on good authority from some very good MFMs who I've trusted throughout my career who say that. And and so and then the idea that they're looking for TAPS, TAPS is twin arterial perfusion syndrome. I think that's what it stands for. And uh, that's not something you do anything about anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's small vessels. One baby's usually polycythemic. One baby's usually anemic when they're born, but you don't do anything. It doesn't affect their growth. It doesn't affect their preterm prematurity. It doesn't increase the risk of anomalies. It doesn't do anything other than that at the end. And yet um, they're looking for it. And the way you look for it is you're going to have to turn on the colored opera. You have to look at the placenta over and over and over again. And mm -hmm. what for what point? The, it's not going to change the management of your pregnancy or technically your labor anyway. So they, but they do it because they've been told to do it. And there are no disadvantages to doing it on their, from their aspect. Okay. Horse beat to death. Let's move on. So now you're. you're Can I chime in about something just about the, the way kind of from a midwife perspective, you know, if you, I, I just encourage future midwife, anybody, right. Any care provider, 
if you have somebody that is in your care and this isn't knocking your midwives, I'm just saying like you, they don't, it's not like I found two babies out the door in a second. We are still supposed to be with woman, with that family, with like navigating those things. And it, it makes me sad that like you had to navigate those things on the internet initially. And thank goodness you found the people you did, but um, you know, consulting and collaborating and referring doesn't mean we have to excuse someone out the door in that second. I think it's really important that we remember to hold that space for the change that comes up. I mean, I think all of us, if we found out we were having multiples when we thought we were having one baby for 20 weeks, you know, we'd be a little, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to take some things in. And um, so I, I think just from the, the midwife perspective, like, let's remember that, like, let's honor that time. And even though ultimately they will very likely be in a different place and with a different person, if that's not your level of comfort, I think it's still, we need to be honoring of that and holding space for that too, right? You can consult and collaborate and refer without kind of like ushering out um, prematurely. Yeah, what happens sometimes is that the rigidity of the regulations or the laws scares midwives from being, you know, even talking to them. I I still remember that when I would get referrals from uh, certain midwives for breech pregnancy um, toward the end of the pregnancy, the midwives would want to be involved in the care. But there were certain midwives, more commonly in in SoCal, they were the CNMs, Nancy, that once their diagnosis of breach was made, they washed their hands of the whole thing. They backed yeah. away. And I had yeah. to find another team for the yeah. woman at 38. At 38. And, I, and I can understand wanting to, to consult and refer and collaborate and all that stuff and, and build that relationship. But at 20 weeks, you know, we have the time to do that, right? It's not like, oh, your breach at 36 weeks, I don't feel comfortable. Let's like get this rolling. It's your 20 weeks. Like, let's give the family time to take that in. Let's get the best team. Let's do that together. Um, so that, you know, when, you know, and, and we'll get to that, but when, um, we all initially got talking that kind of, you know, that was a little disheartening to me. It's just like, follow your rules and follow your guidelines and honor your boundaries, but also honor holding that space for someone of, of getting them to the right people and not, not sort of prematurely ushering is, is I think, you know, is, is the encouragement I want to give other providers. It's okay to have your your things that you don't feel comfortable with, but also honor that time for that family of navigating that and being able to stay off Google. <laughs> so now you're 28 weeks, Anna. Uh, you made it to this point. Then now what's happening? Yeah, I mean, like I said, week in and week out, you know, we got the rounds of the color dopplers looking at everything for TTTS. Um, and then every three weeks we were getting a full growth scan for both of the girls. Um, and so, yeah, that was just adding on to our fear of, you know, something could potentially develop when in reality, we just really didn't have to worry at that point. I just, I just want to call out here as our fear was increasing, the doctor's bank was increasing at the same time. Like the, the hospital's bank was increasing at the same time. So those two were going up. Our fear was going up and the MFM uh, clinic was going up in dollar in dollar um, amounts because they were they were billing us. They were billing insurance three thousand dollars every time we would go and visit and we visited them 10 times. And so if we would have kept visiting them, I think I was projecting it to be another four or five visits. 
um, maybe a little le bit less than that. I mean, it would have been over $30,000. And then on top of that, with what Anna's going to talk about with what, what they were recommending, based off of what NICUs run at, it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars what they were going to charge insurance and how they were going to be essentially making money off of us. And I just want to say, like, I, I get it. They have a business to run, but it should not be the sole thing that drives the care that people need versus what they are recommending based off of fitting in a variety of people. It's like, it wasn't personalized care that we were receiving. It was care to, to essentially try to fit a glove that we just could not fit in. Yeah. And so as we approached, um, I believe it was the 30 week appointment, which coincidentally I had to go to by myself because Jorge couldn't come with me. Otherwise he was at all the other appointments, thankfully. Um, but I, you know, had the ultrasounds, did the growth scan, had a non-stress test. And then the MFM who we'd been seeing, um, pretty frequently, um, she comes in and says, okay, so, you know, based on the things that we're seeing, I am going to have to make the recommendation to get these girls out by 32 or 33 weeks. So I was 30 weeks at wait, that wait, wait. point. Let's stop and pause for effect here. Okay. Yeah. So the listeners, the listeners can catch up to what you just said. <laughs> They're finding nothing wrong. And the MFM comes in and she says to you, we're going to recommend delivering your babies in the next two to three weeks. While you're by yourself. Uh, yeah, in, in a, at a visit where Jorge's not there. But even even whether so or not, on what basis would that recommendation be made other than, in my opinion, the whole algorithmic monodi twins, all of them follow exactly the same flowchart. And whether you have a problem or not, we're going to do that because if we don't, then the risk of something like stillbirth or something else is going to rise. And we don't care what it, what it's actually rising. It's just rising. And as Jorge said, I don't think that the doctors found any motivation to do that so that NICU could charge a month's worth of care for your two babies. But there is something to be said about the way the system reimburses, which leads to that sort of, you know, ridiculousness. But I just want people to, who are listening to just take that in because, because you were on a roll with your story. But, it, but that is, when, when, I, when you wrote that to me, that was one of the most incredulous things that I could that I found in your story. All right. So go ahead. So she tells you that you're going to go at 32 to 33 weeks. You're going to be to be delivered. Did she say vaginally? Did she say bisection? She didn't say it. She didn't. And so then I had to ask the follow up question. So that would mean yeah. an induction what kind of birth are we then talking about? And she said, oh yeah, it would have to be a cesarean, um, which just kind of boggled my mind again, because they had led us to believe up to that point because they were finding nothing, finding nothing. Um, we got reassurance from them that I was going to be able to deliver them vaginally. And then all of a sudden, you know, she just comes around and, and says that this is going to have to be the plan. This is what we're strongly recommending. Um, and so, you know, she asked if I had any more questions. I said, nope, went and got into my car and shed a few tears, um, just because of how overwhelming that, that moment was, um, emotionally and just thinking about, um, the fact that in two to three weeks, 
we were potentially going to have to have these girls out. These girls and then that would, again, mean a NICU stay for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. It was I a mean, classic bait and switch, it feels like. it. They were baiting us and baiting us with these weekly meetings that um, essentially trying to say, yeah, we're we're finding something still. The other twin is still smaller. Though the fluids changed this time. Oh, it's within normal range now. But then the next week, not it's not within normal range. So they were just baiting us and baiting us and baiting us, still trying to get us to go and visit them, and not really doing a very good job by ha not having us ask many questions because they're the trusted professionals, right? Um, and then when Anna goes by herself, they just switch it up on her and say, "Hey." you got to give birth here essentially to these girls in two weeks. Um, and, and at that point when Anna came home, um, I remember cause I was working and I wasn't able to go, um, that, that same, I think it was that same day or the day after, um, I, I, uh, call up the MFM office Anna and I, before that, Anna and I just chatted and we said like, what they're recommending like this two to three weeks. Like, it's just, it's not possible. Let me give them a call and try to understand what is the reasoning behind this. Um, and, uh, and at that time, like, I think up leading up into that call, Anna was doing research on her own to be like, we, there needs to be something else here. And that's where she had found you, Dr. Stu, um, upon her research. And then, so I was just, you know, hearing from her, Hey, there's this doctor, like, you know, he provides great, uh, resources and information around twins and, um, all, all that great stuff that you're doing. And then, um, I give the doctor a call and I just ask her, I say, Hey, like, can you help me understand where your reasoning is here for our daughters to be born, uh, essentially prematurely. And, um, and I kid you not with just like the most, the serious tone of her voice, she said, that's just what we recommend. That's just what we recommend. And I'm like, so I, so I was almost at, trying to ask, like, so you essentially have nothing, no other options for us. And essentially it was no. And so I told her, I, I said straight up, like, you know what, we're not going to live in fear. And I legitimately told her, and she's like, fear of what? Fear, fear from who? Well, I told her, well, we're not going to be, we're not going to choose to live in the fear that of the care that you're providing us. Um, and I kind of like took her back. She didn't really know how to respond to that. Cause I like, I had to fight for our family in that situation. I truly had to be the man in the situation. Cause my wife is on the verge of having a nervous breakdown because of everything that was going on based off of, of the information that we were getting from healthcare professionals. And then, um, I myself am scared and trying to think through how do I navigate this? And, and so I just, you know, I told Anna, like, we just are not going to uh, live in that fear that they're providing us. And so, you know, I think that same night, Dr. Stu, you got an email from us for a consult, um, call. And I think it was the next day we jumped on a call and that's where we connected, but it was essentially all within 24 hours of this going down where Anna was getting the information to say, Hey, we recommend 32, 33 weeks. Um, and, and then within that, we, you know, the next day we meet with you and get a little bit of an enlightenment, I would say. Yeah. Well, th thanks for saying that. I mean, the, the things that they told you, um, just completely, just even the, the way you described the way it was said to you, the, 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 almost the robotic response just lacks any sense of humanity. And mm -hmm. I am sure that this MFM, when she goes home is a human. 
but something happens to them when they come to the system, you know, and even though you had seen this one a couple of times before, it's pretty likely that she probably didn't remember your names very well. It's not, there's no connection there. There's no continuity of care. And as you said earlier, there's very little guidance. It's not, it's, it's more like, you know, grabbing your shoulders and pointing you in the direction and kicking you in the butt and saying, go down this hallway because it's your only choice. And that's the sad part for me because I know that these doctors who do this, they, they can't be happy inside. They can't be, you don't treat other human beings like robots when you're actually happy inside. So they're struggling inside a system and they can't break out. And, you know, I've talked about cognitive dissonance for forever because, but if that's all they've ever been instructed, if that's all they know, and if they go outside of the protocol, they themselves might get reprimanded or fired or something, then they're just going to continue to spout the party line, which as you said, was, you know, 32, 33 weeks, we're going to induce your mono die twins. And it, with no concern for the fact that these twins are going to be born, you know, at three and a half pounds and whatever it is, and then they're going to end up in the NICU for a month. No skin to skin, no delayed cord clamping, no micro microbiome altered, um, you know, none of that stuff. And then they're going to have certain protocols. Once they get in the NICU, we've had several podcasts about protocols in the NICU and what we lovingly call baby jail. But the babies would have been there and they would have had to pass certain milestones before you would have been able to take them out and all these things. So you guys had the insight for whatever reason in your background, in your history, to say, to doubt what they say, because a lot of families just fall into lockstep. They don't know. This is the expert. The guy tells me I need a new carburetor. I get a new carburetor, right? Because I don't know anything about carburetors. But maybe if you took it to another dealer, you'd say, oh, no, you just need this gasket replaced. And, and yeah. it's a whole lot a whole lot different. But that's, the, that's, that's what most families fall into. And most families don't have the resources uh, to go outside of their network because they're trapped by the model by which we practice insurance in this country as well. So Stu, I have a question for you. I'm shocked. What is it? <laughs> what is one thing in a woman's pregnancy that she can control because so much is out of our control? Uh, her nutrition? That's right. And we are so excited to be partnered with such an amazing company as needed because they have focused on pregnancy, postpartum as being some of the most nutritionally demanding time in a woman's life. And it can be influenced by her nutrition status. So they support women during this time with all kinds of amazing products. Their line just has so many options. So make sure and check them all out. But Stu's going to tell us a little bit about um, their immune support because it's turning fall and we need that a little bit more right now during this time. Yeah. Needed has an immune support, uh, which is a popular choice right now with all the back to school germs and heading into the winter when we all tend to get sick more frequently. And the people ask sometimes, well, if I'm pregnant, can I take this product? And of course, yes, it was formulated uh, for pregnant mamas in mind. So it's uh, recommended and safe in pregnancy. Support is intended to complement, not replace other products that they offer as well. So it's just one of those things that you add to your, you know, your prenatal vitamins, your probiotic, your maybe your stress support, your sleep and relaxation support. But Bliss, I wanted to talk about something else today. Don't forget the men. That's right. We love the men. 
Right. So they have a sperm support, uh, men's pre and probiotic, and they say men play a critical role in conception and healthy pregnancies. I, I, I imagine that's true. <laughs> they <laughs> do. Conception <laughs> and the preconception health can significantly impact both fertility outcomes and also the health of their future children. Needed's men fertility plan is a must for couples trying to conceive to support the multiple components of fertility, including sperm health, gut health, optimal nutrient levels, and testosterone levels, which, by the way, are falling worldwide. So you can do this and it works. Why not? I trust Needed's products with my patients because they use scientifically studied ingredients and perform rigorous third-party testing. And unlike other products on the market, Needed designs their products from the ground up using the latest research and insights from men's fertility practitioners. So, you know, we are a woman's podcast mostly, but I don't want those dads to feel excluded. So head over to thisisneeded.com and use code BIRTHINGINSTINCTS for 20% off your one-time order. That's right. Thanks, Needed. So back to the story. Sorry, Anna. Nancy, chime in anytime. Technically, you're my my co-host today because <laughs> list terribly, but but um so Anna, so now you we you you reach out to me. How did you find me? What 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 how did that work out? Yeah, I found you through good old Instagram. Um I was following quite a few different um birth pages on Instagram. I was looking even before we heard the news that they wanted to take the girls out early. Um, I was following a couple twin um, birth educational pages. Um, specifically, one was the twin home births one, which I thought was just incredible um, seeing what these moms were able to do for their twins. But, um, you know, and it has to go with the, you know, occurrence of monodi twins specifically. Um, but sadly all I was really seeing was die die twins and so I thought like this could never be for me but it's incredible to see all these moms being able to do this um but through those pages through um having to look at the resources that they had available you know they all pretty much had you on there um and so I was starting to listen to a few podcasts and yeah I brought up to her hey hey you know I think we would be able to get a second opinion from him because he seems like, you know, he, while we all have a little bit of more bias, you know, you've come from the system. And so, you know, sort of the ins and outs, but actually, you know, what is a real emergency, what does really need medical attention versus just allowing the physiological process of growing a baby labor and birth to happen the way that it should if you know nothing is is really needed to be intervened with um and so yeah we contacted you you were able to get on a zoom call um and from there you know I wanted to say too like I was fully prepared well I was hopeful I was fully prepared for you to look at you know the ultrasound results and go you know what I think they're right like this is the right recommendation for you (laughs) You're as I was, well, I didn't, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I, I, like, wanted no. to be right. I wanted to be right in my feelings that this wasn't the right recommendation, but, um, you know, I had to let go a little bit and, and say, you know, if he says that this is the right way to go, then, you know, this is going to be the right way to go. Um, but thankfully you just kind of said, 
no, this is, this is not, you know, like Jorge was saying, individualized care for us. It's the standardized care, but it doesn't apply to what our individual girls needed to have in that moment. Can I say something? It's not even standardized care because even if, if you look at ACOG's recommendations for monodi twins that don't develop some other problem like TTTS or growth restriction or some or preeclampsia or something else, that they recommend that they're delivered by 36 weeks. I don't know where they pulled the 32, like I can imagine where they pulled it out of, but I don't know where they really pulled out the 32 to 33 week thing. Because there is no literature that I know of that would say in twins that are uncomplicated that you would do that. So that's not even a that's not even a protocol. It might be their protocol, but it's it's not what's recommended by the powers that be in you know good or bad in my profession. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so so we spoke. And what what was the next step that you took after we spoke? Yeah, I think it was after we spoke, actually, we we called the MFM just to get a little clarity and say, is this really what you're recommending? Like, what are the true reasons behind this recommendation? And they just doubled down on what they had told us before, um, saying that there was a fetal growth restriction, which wasn't true, polyhydramnios, which wasn't true. Um, and so we, you know, contacted you again after the fact and we said, okay, like, obviously the hospital route is not the way to go for us. Is there any way that you have people in your back pocket that would be able to help us have a home birth for these girls? You know, because we were in the clear that we really didn't need that um, type of supervision in the hospital, that everything was you know, projected to go pretty smooth for the rest of the pregnancy and then hopefully for the birth. And so um, you gave us a few few people. We were trying to reach out to a lot of midwives in the Minneapolis area and in Minnesota in general. We were looking up north, you're we looking down south, just to try and find anyone that would help us deliver our monodi twins at home. And what we were finding was there were a few that would do twin home births, but they decided just out of preference that they didn't want to attend for monodi twins just with you know the complications that can come with the delivery of the twins um not to say that they're always going to happen but just out of preference they just didn't want to be in those situations um and so we were just kind of coming to a dead end really and that's when we began thinking okay if this is the route that we really want to go we really want to avoid the hospital. What else can we do? And so that's- You did, mention, you, you did mention, before you before you chime in, Jorge, you did mention something about even contacting a traveling nurse. Yes. Is that right? Yep. We contacted a, so, so, contacted a traveling midwife. Okay. So Nancy, maybe you can chime in here a little bit for the listeners, but but tell us a little bit about what is a traveling midwife and you know how do they get it, how do they deal with you know being in under the radar- I mean, obviously, they just stay under the radar because unless they're licensed in this state, if a state has licensing, now some states you can, you there are unlicensed midwives. It's perfectly fine, but I think Minnesota doesn't necessarily have. Does Minnesota have? Oh, you can be an unlicensed midwife in Minnesota. Oh. You can. Mm-hmm. Okay, never mind then. But in some states, you obviously you can't. 
But what happened with the idea of a traveling midwife? That didn't work out either? No, I think it just because it was so close to the guest date that she already had clients booked up. And so it just wasn't going to be working where she could possibly fit us in because especially as a traveling midwife, you have to keep a pretty broad, um, flexible schedule. So um, unfortunately that wasn't going to work out. And so we then decided, okay, where else can we go? Um, And we started looking at Arizona because we we know a few people. We lived there for uh, a bit. And so we had some connections. And so we thought- that where, That's where your first baby was born, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is where yeah. our firstborn was uh, born when we were living there. And so um, we had some connections. And so we thought if we're going to be going out of state anywhere, um, it would be nice to have people that we know there. Um, but again, it was like, if this wasn't going to work out, then where do we go next? And so I think that's when um, you had then mentioned that you knew of some midwives in Arizona and one of them being Nancy. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to have sent you to some of the lovely midwives in California, but then California has a law that says an OB has to be present and there's only one OB left sort of there. That's Victoria. Um, that's doing that. And again, because of the short notice and the timing, it isn't always feasible for, for someone to take you on at a later date. Um, but, you know, you reached out to Nancy. Uh, Jorge, did you want to say something before we start talking about that? You were going to say something yeah. earlier. Well, I just wanted to actually make a comment around what Nancy talked about earlier around um, how she envisions, hopefully, the culture of how midwives really care for people in networking and connecting them to the right source of, of care that they should be getting. Because we we experienced a little bit of, of a lack of uh, the communal care of the midwifery group, um, essentially because we were calling, I think I, I called myself, I called myself like 20 midwives, I kid you not. And I just didn't feel like there was any guidance that was given to us to say, hey, like you should be, you know, let me connect you to this person. I'll give you their personal phone number or, hey, um, you know, I actually know of this person that travels or this, this and that. There wasn't any true connection across the board of like trying to steward us in a way that allows us to get the care that we should be getting. So I think um, what what some of the there was frustration in that because I was even asking like, uh like how is it how is it that this group of of healthcare professionals really focus on more the more natural holistic approach of birthing but there really isn't any options out there that we at least in front of us could see so we just weren't getting that care and i think what tanancy was talking about that's really important like creating a culture within the entire midwifery community of really stewarding people that are looking for specific care or or just guiding them through at least some options to connect with other people. So that's just what I wanted to chime in on. Okay. So in the sake of time, because I know that Jorge, you have limited. Um, so let's get, so let's talk, you, you, you contacted Nancy. Let's go from there. Yeah, we all jumped on a zoom call. And so that was the first time that we were all four of us together. Um, and we all just, <laughs> we all said, you know, if, if we want to make this work, we can. Um, there's just, you know, logistical things that we'll have to work out, um, especially with travel, us having a 
two-year-old at the time, um, who's going to take care of her, where are we going to stay um, in order to have the home birth, and so um, there was a lot of planning involved that that went into it, but I think what I felt the most after that that first meeting of us all together, just saying, okay, we this is something that we can all do, um, I felt like the first time since finding out that I was pregnant that I was really excited because once we had moved from the birth center and the midwifery care there, you know, to the chaos that happened with the MFM and just, I felt really displaced from my experience being pregnant. I felt really disconnected from the twins. But after that point and and feeling like I'm able to do what I feel like is I'm able to do um, and bring these girls into the world that I really felt like I could without intervention, you know, as physiologically as possible. Um, that was, yeah, the first time in a long time that I, I felt excited about this journey again. And you could feel that, like you could feel that on the call, your initial inquiry to me in early August at the end, you said, this is, I completely acknowledge this is a complete shot in the dark. Like I, I understand that, but, and you listed all these things and, I read that sitting right where I am. And I was like, I mean, we were fully booked. We had wait lists. We turned people away. Please nobody get mad at me that (laughs) that was on that list. But I, you know, I contacted all the other midwives in the group and I said, um, and even the beauty of that, like there was some restriction in the fact that like, you know, uh, Arizona does not allow LMCPMs to attend twins and breach and all this stuff. And, and, um, course some of them have have that skill and are comfortable but it's you know the laws and the, the different things by the state well Jess um you know who was also at your birth she's a CNM and she came into practice in September I mean the timing of everything was just so beautiful um but I remember looking at that and being like but if not us who right like we if if you guys are willing to come from Minnesota you know come go through the MFM heartache, lose your midwives, go down the Google, you know, path and talk to Dr. Stu and call 20 other plus midwives. If you're willing to do that, we can skew it and and bend the rule and take an extra family. And the, the excitement, the determination, like the love on that call, like you could just feel it, like it emulated. And I think I've told both of you this, like I could envision your birth on that call without even knowing if you'd come, without even knowing if like logistically this would all work out, I could see it. Um, So I'm sorry you had to go through all of those trials and all of that, you know, like not having the care that you so like you so deserve along the way but I really think it catapulted you into okay this is this is not what we want we know what we don't want and we're going to try to seek out what we do and if we can't have it then okay we've still tried but um you know it's commendable and it's beautiful I'm really proud of you guys well thank you we love you and I think from that first call we just felt like the intensity and the genuine like care that you have for your clients and even just meeting us virtually we felt that right away and so we felt very comfortable and at peace that this was going to all happen and you were going to be there and be able to to provide that care for us I love that
Right. So you guys came down to the Arizona. And how many days or weeks before labor did ensued did you actually get to Arizona? Yeah, I was 30, I think I was 36 weeks mm-hmm. when we got to Arizona. So for twins, <laughs> we were cutting it a little bit close, but I had always kind of felt that I would make it to at least 38 weeks, which ended up being 38 weeks in a day was when the girls decided to <laughs> arrive. Spot on, spot on with your intuition there, mama. <laughs> shocking, shocking, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> if, you just, if you just listen to the uh, to moms, I mean, yeah. Anna, you probably know this already because we've talked about twins in depth, but but in my in my uh, paper or my study or my practice, when, when tw- twins were left to their own accord because they didn't develop any problems, the average gestational age was 39 weeks and zero days. So some went at 35 and 36, but that means some went to 41 and 42. So the fact that you knew that they were going to go at 38 was is just kind of cool. And again, just shows that sometimes if we just stop for a second, back up and listen um, to what the women are saying, um, there's a lot of wisdom there. And yeah. It's, yeah, the model, the medical model doesn't really allow for that. And that's what we're trying to fix. We're trying to change by, to, by telling your story. People yeah. can listen. This obviously, isn't going to work for everybody. That's a, that's like it's a disclaimer caveat we put in every time, but it did for you. Mm-hmm. So tell us tell us the story of the birth story. Yeah, the birth was just amazing. Um, I think from start to finish, I was just ex- I was excited. Um, of course, at some parts I was nervous. Just you know as labor continues on. And, um, I think, you know, labor began the evening before, um, later at night as, as most, most labors do. Um, and, you know, things were pretty intense at first for me. Um, and so I, I felt kind of right away that we needed to, um, let everyone know on the birth team that things were happening. And especially since this was my my second pregnancy, it'll be my second, you know, birthing experience. You never know how fast or what the timing could be. Um, and so we had everyone on the birth team arrive um, later in the evening, kind of into the early morning, you know, um, we were just checking on things, checking baby's heartbeats. Um, but other than that, you know, I was just able to labor with Jorge in the room that we were in, uh, where we were staying and, you know, very minimal interruptions. Um, and I, I really felt like I was able to just be in the moment, um, take the labor one moment at a time and just sort of let it unfold the way that it was supposed to unfold. Um, of course, morning comes and, uh, labor stalls a bit and they started spacing out to about every like 15 minutes. And so, that was discouraging for me. Uh, but again, I just, I was trying to surrender just to the process, which I think is one of the most important things in labor is just not having an agenda, um, and taking it one moment at a time. And so that's what I was really trying to do and rest and eat and drink, um, which you don't really get at hospitals, um, being able to move however I needed to, um, and uh, yeah, having the, the minimal minimal interruptions and just being able to be in labor land and, and focus on um, just listening to my body and what was happening. And so um, I believe it was around that time where things started to stall. Um, 
it was, I think I want to say it was around like 11 a.m. or something. And so everyone on the care team was like, you know what, we're going to stay in the area. We're just going to see how things happen. We're going to take a little break, but keep us updated. Um, and after that point, it was like a few hours. Um, I believe it was probably up until 4 or 5 p.m. was when everyone then came back because things started to pick up a little bit more. I believe it was actually Nancy that came back first solo just to check on us. And um, at that point, since things had stalled, she asked me, you know, is there anything that we wanted to do in terms of trying to get this labor up and going again, or do we just want to, you know, let it be as it is? And I think that was really amazing that you gave us the options, but you also left us the space to say, like, if you don't want to do anything, that's totally mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. Uh, and so I think from there, actually, labor picked up pretty quickly after that. Um, we had the birth tub ready since the night before, so that was ready to go. We didn't have to worry about that. You know, thank the Lord for heated hot tubs, makeshift birthing tubs. <laughs> didn't have to add more hot water to it or anything. Um, but yeah, everyone was there at that point and still giving me the space, not interrupting. Everyone was hushed. Everyone was respectful of the birthing space. Um, and again, I think that allowed myself and my body to just be ready, just to let labor go its course. Um, and I remember going through transition. I was just, you know, in my own little world, doing my own little thing, listening to my body. Um, and I just thought like, I, I, prior to, you know, this birthing experience with my first, I really didn't understand what was going on in the birthing process. I think because I was so antsy and fearful about what it was going to look like the first time. Um, but with this, I, I could picture what was happening with my body. I could picture, you know, where I was at with the girls, what was going on. Although I wasn't very vocal about what was going on because we eventually got to the point where I was in the tub um I think it was like 30 minutes go by and then I just felt you know that that reflex happening the fetal ejection reflex happening uh, where my body just began to push twin a out and you and and Jess Nancy you were just kind of sitting back I remember you weren't up in my business you weren't you know, disturbing me, but you could probably tell what was going on just based mm -hmm. on what was happening. Um, and really, like, you didn't come to be right beside me up until, you know, baby A decided to to then be born. Um, and I think that, that was really, really cool because with my prior experience, it, it even though I was at a birthing center with midwives, it did feel a little bit more medicalized than compared to this experience where I felt your trust for me and my body to just mm -hmm. do what it needed to do. Um, and so baby A was born. Um, she was great. Didn't have any issues with her. Um, and then it was about a couple minutes before I started to feel baby B make her way down as well. And Nancy, you asked me, you know, do you want to hold your, your baby or do you want me to? What do you want to do? <laughs> as I was getting to that pushing stage, um, and I, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hold the baby, <laughs> uh, which I thought was so cool because 
in my mind, I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought to myself, you know, I, I just gave birth to this baby. I still want to do skin to skin. I still want to get all those benefits mm-hmm. while her sister is being born. Um, and so, you know, we had to have a couple of hands there <laughs> to help hold the baby uh, just because I was so focused on on bringing baby B out. Um, but it was, I think it was 11 minutes apart, if I'm right, between mm-hmm. baby A and baby B being born. And, um, you know, my my mom, who, who wasn't immediately in the room for baby B or for baby A, um, she was in there for baby B. And uh, she told me later on, you know, that, you know, people were, you know, doing things in the background to get ready just in case that baby B needed a little bit of assistance, whether that was with an extraction or, you know, um, with breathing difficulties, things like that. Like people were prepared and ready for that, but I could never tell. There was no chaos. There was no, um, you know, urgency about it. And again, I think that that makes a big difference um, when a woman is in labor and giving birth, um, just because she's able to pick up on the environment. Um, and so because I felt, you know, safe, I felt my babies were safe. My body was able to, uh, give birth to baby B pretty, pretty quickly after baby A. And, and thankfully there wasn't any, um, there weren't any complications with, you know, the placenta attaching before baby B and having to do an extraction um, and all of that. And, and uh, thank goodness, you know, we had a little bit of a uh, breathing issue just at first with baby B, but that's just because she was taking her time, you know, getting acclimated. It wasn't anything that was super serious where I felt like in a hospital, it probably would have been made out to be an emergency and she would have been taken from me and she would have been, you know, rubbed vigorously instead of having that gentle transition into the world like her sister was going, was able to have. Um, and so baby B is born. I'm able to have both of them in my arms, uh, in the birthing tub and just take that, that minute to sort of soak it all in that, you know, this was able to come to fruition. Uh, everything that we, planned for, uh, while I was surrendering to the possibility of it not going the way that I hoped and was praying that it would go, um, it, it ended up pretty being pretty dang close, which was a miracle and, and such an amazing thing to have had. Yeah. yeah and then we added, people... we, we, we added flowers and we sang happy birthday. Uh, and I, I looked at Jess and I said, these babies would have been in the NICU for four to six weeks by now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a lot of, you know, prenatally, you know, we called a birth conference and we talk about, you know, how do you envision your birth and, and how involved do people want to be? And because we really truly believe in the individualization of care, which is something I know you guys have said a couple of times, you didn't get to have. It's just like, oh, you have this. So this is what we're doing. And um, home birth midwifery, you know, we, we have that, it, you know, we, we should be able to sit there and go, how do you see this? Because we're just really the protectors of space. Right. And so, yes, we have the oxygen and we have the IVs and we have the skills and the, you know, the hands to use them if we need them. But if we just sit back, I actually, right before you felt you know, those, those, that, those pressure, that, that pressure to push baby A out. I had just got done praying over you, um, tub side and, and, uh, just all of that stuff was there and ready, but it was like, rarely do we need to use it. 
but it's there if we do, you know, um, but having, having that trust in each other that we got to talk about prenatally. Yes. We only got to meet twice other than virtually. Right. But we talked so much about what do you want this to look like, but also what can this look like? So when you're not in the moment, we can remind you, oh, it's okay. She just needs a little time to come around. This is normal. Just like talk to her, just, you know, and you can see like the color come into your baby. Like, so I think having that preparation too, and those conversations of when it's not happening to happening to you can really go, okay, this is normal. Um, but if there an intervention is needed or assistance needed, we talked about all this. So, you know, we have that mutual respect and trust for the space instead of you are the provider, figure it out, right? You're the mom, you, you figured it out pretty dang good, I'd say. So Bliss, we have a not new sponsor, BirthFit. <laughs> They've been with us for a while now, so we can't call them new anymore. But they do have some exciting new news as BirthFit has its newest member as our friend Lindsay ha had her baby. So congratulations, Lindsay and family. Yay! Yeah, BirthFit is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and the postpartum. Tell us a little bit about their programs. You know what? They cover you for all aspects of feminine care and birth and postpartum. It's really amazing. So the BirthFit Basics is a prenatal program. is 30 days, no equipment necessary for any trimester of pregnancy. So you could try that out before you jump in further. And then they have a prenatal training program, which is full strength conditioning that requires minimal equipment like dumbbells, bands, and a box. I had a client the other day who was laying in bed like a good client um, taking my suggestion. She's like, you know, just laying in bed, nursing all day. I'm feeling a little sore. You know, any stretches? And I said, you should really try this lying in program that they have. It's great for postpartum. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focuses on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum through breathing exercises, visualization, and belly massages. I mean, come on, that sounds amazing. It is amazing. And then, yeah, and then they have um, kind of an intermediate birth fit basics, which requires no um, equipment. So that focuses on foundational breath work and movements to reestablish a solid foundation of core and pelvic floor stability before you go back to any other fitness classes. But they also have a more extensive postpartum program, which is 12 weeks focused on building a base level of general fitness through simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. Yeah, Pretty the birth fit community is where you want to be if you're trying to conceive or know you want to be in the next one to three years. This is a monthly membership program by Women for Women that focuses on general strength and conditioning with respect around one's menstrual cycle. So go to birthfit.com and use the code instincts1, that's the number one, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program or go to birthfit.com, use the code instincts2 to get a discount on the basics postpartum program. We love BirthFit. It's OB and midwife approved. Absolutely. And go check out Lindsay. I mean, she looks great. And she did her own fitness program throughout her whole pregnancy and had an amazing birth. So check it out. Yeah, can I just say that my smile muscles are hurting me right now? And I would like to know um for for just for fact fact checking, well, how much did they weigh? 
Oh goodness. So baby A, she was five pounds, 13 ounces. Mm -hmm. Baby B was six pounds, two ounces. So was either either one of them severely growth restricted? Was there significant discordance between the two of them? No. No. <laughs> Not and at all. Baby, and baby B was slightly bigger than baby A. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it and it fit out anyway. Yeah. They, it worked. It worked great. The body did Sorry. what it needed to do. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I can't tell you. I hear people say, "Well, baby B is bigger than baby A." Then you you can't have a vaginal delivery and. Then, you know, and then they would, they told you that, you know, there was one baby that wasn't growing well, but they were within what the five ounces of each other. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's the tiny percentage of scordons. It's not even significant. Yeah. And head so. and chest and length and all that stuff. were not discordant either, you know? Um, and you, and you held one while you birthed the other one. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. So just think about that for a second, pretty much. And I say this a lot and I, and again, Part of what we do on this podcast is we 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 try to be reasonable and we talk about reasonable things, but pretty much everything they told you was wrong. Yeah, pretty right. much. And so Jorge, you, just, you, you haven't said anything for a while, so Jorge, because I know you've got to you've got to go, but yeah. but why don't you give us your your impression of what happened? Yeah, two things. Um, the first one is I just I just want to encourage couples, uh, you know, husbands and wives that are. Um, on the journey of trying to figure out what what do you need to do if you have twins or in your birthing journey in general, if, even, if you're having a singleton, even um, just be a team about it. Um, really, it, it's not all on the female. It's not all on one person. It truly okay. is the the couple, the team coming together and truly listening to the obviously the body of the mother, um, her intuition what she's what she's feeling um and then coming up with a game plan i think that is essentially what eliminated all the fear was when we just came up with a game plan and trusted the process of how anna's body was is supposed to give birth um and we turned out pretty pretty well i would say trusting that plan um and, and so I, I definitely think that um i just want to encourage couples i want to encourage the you know the male figures in that to just also empower your women to be able to trust that they are are going to make the right decision for themselves and for the babies and then just come alongside them in that um so i would say that you know i wasn't perfect in the beginning because even as anna mentioned before we were even thinking, before we even found out about twins, she was talking about home birth and I immediately brushed it off. I said, no way. Like that's in my mind, I was like, that's gross. Like, I don't want to think about this. It's such a guy thing. Right. Um, and, and so until the, until everything shifted, right. We came to reality of like, well, we have no other option. So this is the option that we're going to go to. So I would just say like, be open-minded, truly explore the best options for yourself for what mm-hmm. you need um mm-hmm. and then the second thing too it's actually interesting we talk about uh you know the the mfm group here but i i submitted a complaint to them i i had to like follow up with it because dr Stu, to your point everything that they were recommending is com- was completely wrong and it was mm-hmm. not right and so mm-hmm. i legitimately i i submitted a complaint through the better business bureau i submitted a complaint directly to them and guess what crickets 
but is it shocking? Probably not. But um, I, I just, again, I think there's, there's a, there's a, there's something that just needs to shift when it comes to just birthing in general. It's not a medical condition. It's not like Anna has a sore throat and you need to throw antibiotics at it or something. It's legitimately her own body taking something that mm-hmm. is supposed to grow within her and then giving birth to the baby nine months yeah. later. So medical professionals should be more like lifeguards. Yeah. yeah. We should let you yeah. live your life and do your thing and only step in when there's when an issue. The problem is, is they're finding issues where there aren't any issues. Right. Because of the way the system is defined. I mean, your story is inspirational. Um, I, you know, that's why we wanted you guys to tell your story because I am a lightning rod for similar stories like this. And for this to get out there, it obviously isn't for everyone. We don't have to make that disclaimer every time. But to find a, a midwife with a skill and sensitivity and, and heart of somebody like Nancy is something we should all strive to be. We should all of us in the healthcare business and caretakers should strive to understand. Now, the system obviously puts lots of pressures on people mm-hmm. and time constraints. They can't do that. But then that then then change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I said to you guys on the consultation, it's like, you, if you, if you don't know what you're saying no to, like, you don't even know, right? Like, Jorge, you said to me, you were like, I didn't even want to explore home births when we thought we were going to have one baby, but you still, whatever steps it took you to get there, you still came alongside Anna. You, I mean, you, you were headed in a different direction before we even talked. Right. But when, when you have those people that are hesitant of like, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. First of all, if you're not the person giving birth, that's a problem, right? But even in and of itself, just have a consult. What's the, what's the harm in that? Then you know what you're saying no to. Um, but I think, you know, opening your heart up to that. Um, and then too, yeah, we touched on, you know, providers just having heart space for that. It's okay as a provider to be like, hey, this is not my cup of tea. And maybe I don't agree with what you're doing, but I'll find someone that'll help you along the way. It's not like kick out the door in five minutes, right? You don't have to do it. Not everybody has to be a home birth midwife. Not everybody has to be a doctor too, but I mean, that'd be great. Um, But find you the right people. Part of that care, part of coming alongside you from the very beginning, whomever it was, is like, if I can't do it, let me find you someone that can, you know, um, because like I said, one of the things we, you know, we're always hesitant about is late entry to care and like having that team. But that day, you know, that consultation, I'm like, I mean, you guys have been here. You probably know some people, but I'll get you a doula, a photographer, a videographer, all the people you need. And like, that's what you need, right? Because it's like, you want someone to be able to step into, this is what I want. Let's make this happen. Let's find you the, you know, the team to do it. To the point that I said to you um, before we had even met, if you remember, uh, I said, hey, if you want, go get this ultrasound with a person I trust and let's just see what it says. Did it say anything that the other scan said? And here's also to the difference with if you don't like something, change it. Like Stu said, I don't like how insurance driven practice over the years I've just seen Oh, here's a problem. Here's a problem. Here's money. Here's money. One of the reasons we started ultrasound through emergence is your story was one of those stories, right? Tail end of that, but it was in the works, but I'm like, this is one more reason. 
This is one more reason you have to have people you trust. You have to have care you trust. Um, and so I, I love your story on, for so many for so many things. But the encouragement of couples to come together and say, you know what? 40 weeks ago, I might have not chose this, but things are coming along in my path to point me in a different direction. Let's at least explore it and look at the beauty that's come out of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so thank you all for coming on today. Um, this has been very valuable. I'm sure Bliss will be sad that she missed the conversation. But uh, congratulations to you. Merry Christmas. Uh, you have a beautiful family. I don't know if you're going to have more, but if you do have another baby, you'll, you know, you won't have that scarred, uh, cesarean scar to have to deal with. Um, your baby's you will got have the to best- come back to Arizona, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've already talked about this, Nancy. Either we're yeah. going back down there or you're coming up here. So okay. sounds good. <laughs> okay. Depends on what so... season you're birthing. If it's warm up there, I'll go your way. If it's cold, we'll aim, we'll aim for the summer. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add? I just want to say, uh, you know, on behalf of Anna and I, Dr. Stu and Nancy, I just, we're, we're so grateful for you both and just everything that you're doing in your practice and in the influence that you have in the communities that you're a part of. Um, like I said, you, you both are leaders and like just a phenomenal platform that you have both. Um, and so we're just so grateful to have be, have been a part of your journey in, in, in practicing, but um, we're just grateful for the care that we received from both of you. So thank you so much for everything. And from the bottom of our hearts, I mean, our families, you know, it is what it is today because of you two, right? Without the, the, the wisdom and guidance that you've given us, our twins would have been, it would have been a different situation. So um, we're thankfully at home with three healthy, beautiful daughters and, and, you know, one happy family. So thank you. We are humbled and honored. And thank you guys for coming on. Well, fellow travelers, that was really interesting um, for me to just relive the history and to see Anna Jorge on Zoom was very exciting. I hope that you got something from that story. I really do believe that uh, change is coming, that the medical model as it stands right now and its fear-based revenue generating uh, sort of ignorance model, it has to go. And it's got to come from demand from uh, you, the listeners, and and demand better uh, on every aspect of things. So I know Bliss would have loved to have been here. Uh, I missed seeing her today, but she'll be back next week. And I do want to say once again, please support our sponsors. Thank you for listening. Uh, Again, good middle of the night to those of you who are up doing what we uh, so passionately love to do. And until then, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 